Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. Hi, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Marcus Johnson. We're at the Linfield Library. Uh, it's February 28th, 2019. And Marcus, in different, different start to our interviews than usual, we're going to ask you, uh, why jazz? Wow. Because um, I can't sing. So uh, when I first started in the music, you know, I actually could. I was in the chorus when I was in uh, junior high school. And then um, I guess with puberty and adolescence came uh, a lack of uh, inability to get the right air through my vocal cords. <laughs> um, besides that, my father uh, and I spent many days listening to jazz, Miles Davis, um, George Duke, Quincy Jones, um, in uh, in his living room when I used to go visit him on the weekends, and he had one of those nine foot wooden, you know, all in ones like the original all in ones, mm -hmm. the record player, the radio, and then the storage unit, you know, and it was a coaster for everybody's drinks and everything like that. So I used to sit there for like hours and listen to different types of music and Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, was uh, was one of my favorites. So when I was about seven or eight, my father took me to an Earth, Wind & Fire concert and at the Capitol Center, which no longer exists in Washington, D.C. And that is where I saw, you know, people flying through the air, doing the Earth, Wind & Fire thing, laser pyrotechnics, <laughs> and I knew I wanted to be in music. Um, and from there, it was just, uh, high school band director, you know, there there was no pop music program in school. My county didn't have a performing arts program. And so I was in the jazz band, so mm -hmm. I learned jazz and then learned to appreciate it, and then the piano became my voice. So let's talk about the piano and how you ended up choosing the piano as your, as your main instrument. Well, there was one in the house, <laughs> um, number one. And then out of that concert that I went to with my dad with At Earth, Wind & Fire, it was the keyboards. He was like, well, you know, if you're going to do music, you know, I want you to be the band leader because you're a leader. And that's, you know, that's consistent throughout my, um, my training from my father. And so um, he's like, if you're, gonna do, if you're going to get into music, you should think about that. And then having a piano in the house uh, was very instrumental in just being able to sit down and tinker things out. Now, when I first started playing or taking lessons, I took them for a month or two here, there. I hated the piano. <laughs> I mean, with a passion. Then I got to the age of about 14, and uh, there was a young lady that I figured I'd write a song for because she just inspired music. Now, I had never written a song, you know, and I really couldn't play piano. And I basically, you know, taught myself how to play in order to be able to voice this song. And once I gave her that cassette tape, let you know my age, <laughs> uh, when I gave her that cassette tape and I saw that smile, I was like, huh. So you can, you can actually affect people's you know, um, psyche and bring them joy through a gift that you're, you know, you're given. I'm just like, I think this is, this is where I'm going. And that, that caused a lot of problems because I do come from a family of doctors and lawyers. So telling them that I was going to school for music uh, did not go over originally that all that well. So tell me, you ended up did you ended up going to school other ways as, as well? So mm -hmm. tell me how that kind of worked out. How you ended up doing both? Well, um, in undergrad, I got into the music engineering and technology program at the University of Miami, and uh, it was a very small program, thousands of applicants and they let 30 or 40 people in a year and so it was like a triple major in electrical engineering physics acoustics and uh, your instrument um, so I went to the University of Miami and my mom got sick she had a stroke so I had to come back to DC and that's where I entered uh, Howard University in the jazz studies program but with a minor in business and um, I got uh, put music together, got a demo deal with Blue Note Records, and got screwed. I had, I had no guidance. There was nobody there to really tell me how to, you know, to navigate um, such an 
important kind of deal in the process of going from a demonstration deal to a, a full-length contract. And um, I sat on the back of a 767, a TWA, Transworld Airlines uh, 767, with tears in my eyes and said, like, literally, I'll never be in this position ever again. And so that's when I first started studying for my LSAT. And um, everybody, again, thought I was crazy. And what do you, what, I had teachers that asked me if I was gonna go to Cracker Jacks U Law School. <laughs> um, and uh, another one was like, you're gonna get your, your law degree out of a box of Captain Crunch. And um, I had fraternity brothers that laughed at me. Uh, and then, you know, you, you go six months later and we all take our LSATs and I kill it and I end up at Georgetown, a top 10 law school at that, and um, from there to the business school. So it, it's really making my mind up that I'd like to be in control of my destiny mm -hmm. and be able to understand the choices that are presented to me at the highest level. One on the business side, um, understanding that this is a business and understanding it on the legal side. So I tell people the law is like your blueprints and your structure. The business is like the electricity of the structure and your passion is the electricity that turns everything on. So I think at some point, instead of learning European you know, and, and history for 12 years, we really need to get in, into our, we, we need to insert some type of business and finance understanding in our, our, our primary education, as well as mental health um, much more so that we can understand who we are, understand self-concept, self-identity, and then the legal aspects of everything because you don't know you know who has your license of when you're walking down the street and you fall and you break your neck or you know you break your arm. These are very important parts of who we are, how we exist. And I think in other societies, many people know, but we're all about the hype. You know, it's the hype of, of, of America, which is great, but there's so many other things that make it great that if you put it together and you get that whole structure of foundation, wiring, and passion, you can have a lot of buildings that, you know, it, figuratively speaking, that are these, these individuals and adults that are following their passion and everything is lighting up. Interesting. So talking about your passion, you mentioned signing with Blue Note Records. So how did you get to the point where you were signing a record deal and then how did you make your, work on your first album? I, again, I was very, in many ways, lucky. I mean, um, and very aggressive uh, with who I was and what I wanted. Um, I uh, came from a family where we were told that there's nothing that's impossible. So if you really think about it, you can actually make this happen. And so I started recording, um, I went to a studio and just took my money from washing cars and went into a studio and started recording music. And I knew that there were some very important alumni from Howard University. Mm -hmm. And um, then one of my friends, uh, my girlfriend at the time, was in LA working an internship at Capitol Records. And she dropped off my demo tape to one of the interns in the A&R department. And so there was talk about the possibility. So I figured this is a chance. I ended uh, end arounded them with a, an attorney who had worked at Capitol, uh, who had worked with Michael Jackson, was managing Luther Vandross, and got a, I was able to, through our alumni association, get a call uh, to him and got a call back and like, hey, look, I'll shepherd you through this process to this point. Mm -hmm. Now, you have a demo deal and you have Luther Vendross. You have a $10,000 deal and you have Luther Vendross making $500,000 every time he goes out. So not understanding my part of the process mm -hmm. was a great learning experience, but that is how we were able to uh, get the demo deal. And we got some money, put it into some studio equipment, and you know, when you're 18, 19, a lot of these, you know, these young kids are getting screwed because we haven't been taught the other stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, that we don't understand marketing, we don't understand, you know, sales, we don't understand how you fit into a paradigm, we don't understand how to get product to market um, uh, in in a in a industry such as music. Mm -hmm. So I failed, 
And out of that failure came the whole next phase of who I was, which was Marcus the lawyer, Marcus the MBA. And you know, my second year of law school, that's when I put out my first couple of CDs and really got billboard success um, and made a lot of money out of my mom's basement while I was finishing my law degree, you know? And it, it's, it's one of those, it's a story of the blind faith and arrogance in your faith People are like, well, you need to be humble in your faith. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, humility is great, but like, I am absolutely one. I don't just have faith, I believe. I know that anything I put here, it's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Hawkins talks about the idea of power versus force and, and the idea of letting go. And that's very true. You have to let, let go in arrogance, but also set your list off of what you're gonna do with the same level of just, I expect it to happen. I, I expect to get to this next level. You know, you get the question often, did you expect to be here? I expected to be further and I'm still going and I can't wait, but I'm cool with where I am. Yeah. I'm accepting of, you know, my mistakes that got me where I am and my successes that, that got me where I am. Now, what's next? And you're just constantly on that journey of like, this is fun. <laughs> you talk about that, that kind of that kind of self-awareness and attitude, like you said, that tends to come later in life. At, at what point were you confident that you would make it as a musician or confident that you would make it successful in any way? Mm, I would say probably when I got my first uh, all-county soloist award. So they took the best jazz soloist um, at our county jazz festival in Montgomery County. And um, out of nowhere, you know, they were like, oh, Marcus, by the way, we won the county, you know, Jazz Fest, but you won a distinguished award. And I was like, huh, okay. So all my stuff in my life has been, and really in everybody's life, is the, are the, you, you have the growth when you're like, huh. But the difference between, again, me and those who are super successful and those who stay in a place wondering why they are where they are is because the huh for some is like, mm, well, maybe next time. <laughs> And then those of us who are like, huh, okay, now what? And the what is here. People are always trying to figure out, they're saying they're figuring out things. We're not here to figure out things, we're here to create things, man. And every time you get that aha moment and you're like, yo, maybe I could. No, the, 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 the statement is, yes, you can. And it's up to you to go out there and figure out the way to do it and you will get your butt kicked and you get back up, dust yourself off, and go back out there again. I mean, it's like golf, you know? It's not just the, it's not the shot you just took. It's saying, no matter where this ball ends up, I'm gonna be okay. And when you have that perspective in life, you're always okay. And you may not be number one in the world, but you can still be super successful. You know what I mean? Tiger Woods didn't win a whole bunch of tournaments last year, but he still almost won the FedEx Cup because it's about the, the overall points that you get in life and making sure you're doing the things that I tell people that make you smile between the time when you close your eyes and when you go to sleep because that's when you're dealing with you. Taking your ha huh moments and making them your ha huh moments. So let's talk about that for you. Uh, let's talk about your, uh, your entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial endeavors. Uh, since you got into music, you got going, uh, where did you go next? How did you end up where you are now? Um, it's really one of those parts of it are, are in pragmatism and parts of it are, are where you say to yourself, okay, this may be an opportunity or parts of it are where you're scared to death. So coming out of the demo deal, not getting a full record contract, studying for the LSAT, getting into law school, getting into law school, overhearing somebody talking about the MBA, having your sister talk to you five years before about the fact that you would be a great JD MBA, apply, taking your GMAT in your first year of law school, because you're not supposed to do anything but mm -hmm. you know, get your butt kicked in the first year of law school, taking your GMAT in your first year of law school to get in, applying to business school, getting into the MBA program, then starting your you know, first year clerking at Universal Records. Everybody else is out going out having fun. I'm in the vault looking at the contracts. So I'm studying from Judy Garland's and Bing Crosby's two-page contracts. <laughs> like the average record contract right now is like 50, 60 pages standard. 
you know, when it, with, a, with a full deal. So you take those, you know, all that, and then saying, I'm in a great place, how do I use this? Then that next year, instead of going and working at Sony in the internship program, you know, begging, borrowing, and, and well, I didn't steal, but begging and borrowing <laughs> from friends and family to put my first record out. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's understanding that this is what I was supposed to do. So going from the music, going, or going from the law back into the music, and then realizing when I graduated, okay, I have two records that are in the top 15 of Billboard, what am I going to do? I'm going to go on tour. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then I got a chance to sign with other record companies again, and I got my second chance to sign with Blue Note. I didn't take it. I went with a smaller company that was started by um, uh, former executives from a large GRP. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really understand equity and how they did it, but I knew that they had just, you know, had a market cap of $500 million, which at the time, 98, that's a lot of money. And that company ended up being CD Now, which ended up being bought by Amazon, which ended up being nothing. Mm -hmm. So what do I do? Well, I'll go back to what I do best, which is back and creating my own stuff. Then I had a chance, to, a chance meeting with Bob Johnson, who founded BET. And uh, we were talking. He had just sold BET to Viacom and became you know, an African-American billionaire and business icon. And I invited him out to lunch. He's like, well, why don't you come to my office for lunch? Three hours later, had a deal on the table. That's my first multi-million dollar deal at 30. And we built you know, a recording facility. We, um, even now, a lot of the artists that you hear at least once an hour on watercolors on XM came through you know, our stable. Mm -hmm. Nick Colio, Michael LinkedIn, you know, Jaquim Joyner came through our studio in Silver Spring, Maryland. You know, and what we built there. But then, you know, mp3.com popped off, bottom fell through the industry. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, it's this. Mm -hmm. and, and, but it's more like this, and taking, you know, every, you know, taking every ass kicking that you get and turning it into the, the next journey towards another peak. And I think that so many people are worried about the peaks they forget about the fact that the peaks are made by the depth of the valley. So, you know, without a valley, you have a plateau and it's just flat and boring. You know, the Alps, when I fly over them, I always love to fly during the day because I roll up my window uh, shade and I just look out and like, that is amazing. <laughs> to, 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 to look out just hundreds of miles of mountains that are thousands of feet high but they're made up of the valleys and so are our lives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going from music and then when the music industry changed, then getting into wine and really recognizing that we had a brand. I had built a brand at that point with loyal customers, followers, supporters, and let's give them an enhanced experience. Let's give them some wine and jazz and, you know, have fun with it. Mm -hmm. So it's very important. And I mean, um, speaking on campus earlier today, I talked about the fact that we are in the, that I am in not the music industry, but the therapy industry. And really understanding that my job and really all service companies, and I would say product companies at some level, you're providing, when you're fulfilling a need, you're enhancing somebody's life. There's some component of therapy with it. When you put wine and, and, and the music together, it's a very, th it can be either a fun experience, you know, hopefully a very, you know, uh, engaging experience and memorable, but definitely therapeutic. It's, it makes it a little bit better. And my mom always said I was a social worker, so I figured why not make money with it. One of the few. So uh, let's talk. You mentioned your brand. Let's talk about Flow Brands and, and sort of how that began and what your what your goal was with it. Yeah, Flow came out of me recognizing that music alone and having a label wasn't gonna sustain the the business anymore. And we had a company called Three Keys Music, and that was based on three three keys of life, which is spirituality, spirituality, strategy, and artistry understanding that it first starts with the spirit and what you come up with your ideology and philosophy. The next is the idea of, you know, your artistry and being creative in your spirituality. And then the last key, which was open-ended, was limitless thinking and, and strategy. Um, but, it, you know, that's where we were. It's like, I need something else. 
and I got away. So my life model in my book and what I teach in my TED Talks is it's a model that's DEPEL, D-E-P-E-L-L, which is dream, environment, plan, execute, listen, and learn. So I was like, all right, so I have this dream, I have this environment, I'm going through the process. The listening and learning is the most important part of it. If you don't detach, you are living you know, a life of just venting and reacting. You get, you know, experience alone is not wisdom. Wisdom comes with the evaluation of your experience, your reflection upon your experience. So I'm sitting in, in my office and we had this brand that was flow, but it meant for lovers only, and I knew I couldn't scale that. Um, very urban in nature, very, you know, kind of lovey-dovey, um, or even sexual, you know, and that's not what I wanted and thought more and more and said, well, for love, oh, for love of, for the love of. And people are like, well, there's no the in, you know, FLO. It's like, that's what it means, damn it. And because <laughs> I created it, I can say whatever I want to, right? It's just educating people around it. And so that's what part of our, our process is. And it goes back to the idea of why I've done all that I've done in general. And it's because of the love of it. It's having the fun. It is, it is, I don't believe that life is about suffering. I don't believe that life has to be hard. I don't, I mean, you work, no doubt. But like when you put your mind to it, it's just like P90X, you know? It may take you the, the 60 days to get it done, right? But when you, on, on day like 40, something happens. You start looking in the mirror and you're like, I followed a process, I put the work in, I was courageous enough to get up and do it when everybody else was doing their thing. And damn, hello, you know? And then if you get to day 60, you're like, hello, hello. And by the time you get to 90, everybody else is saying hello, hello, right? So it's this pragmatism that's based in your ability to free yourself up, but to see the finished product here mm -hmm. and believe that you can get here. And so, as I think about what my passion is, it is absolutely helping others to see theirs and knowing that anything that you come up with is possible. You just have to do it. And it's a choice. It's not around the corner. People are like, I want to find my, I need to find my passion. Well, is it back there? Or is it over there? It's right here. And it's right here. And it's about you choosing whatever the hell you want to do, and then going and making it happen and refining the process over and over and over. So when you, you, had, this, you, you had this idea for, for a love of, mm -hmm. uh, how did it grow from there and how did it turn into wine? So the first thing we did was we had the flow series of, of lifestyle series because I used to go into, um, I used to go into Target and I saw the Lifescapes and they had like music to chill by, music and it's like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. So we had for the love of chill. Mm -hmm. We had for the love of romance. We had for the love of standards. Um, you know, now we're looking at doing more for the love of spa music, for the love of instrumental inspiration. Mm -hmm. And really recognizing that an interesting, happen, an interesting hap thing happens when consumers get a little bit older. First, when we're young, everything is like, man, that's just hot. It's hot. Then you transfer into this kind of what's functional. Like, this is good music to help me through the day. And then when you transcend, you know, your 60s or so, you start thinking about things as it relates to what's spiritual? Mm -hmm. How do I get to my spiritual? You know, I'm in that twilight. What's, what's next and how can I enjoy whatever time that I have left? So a lot of us and the people that we're targeting are in this functional space of, you know, music to go to work by, music to uh, have a party with, um, music to socialize to. And with that, the, the series was great. It was the first time any label had released in the jazz segment three records, and they had all been in the top 15 of Billboard at the same time on two different charts, the straight ahead jazz chart and the contemporary jazz chart at the same time. That hadn't happened before. 
And so um, recognizing that we needed to continue on with that and reading articles on things like crush pads and understanding you know, our dynamic uh, and engagement with women in jazz and also understanding women in wine mm -hmm. and going to all these clubs and knowing that you have a perfect venue for the music and the wine and the experience. How do I make the experience better? And, and I, I tell people I'm not a lifestyle company. Flow is not a lifestyle company. We're a lifestyle enhancement company. You already have your lifestyle. All I'm here to do is make it a little better, one sip and sound at a time. So that's how we got into wine, understanding that our target demo women love wine and here's how we can put this therapy thing that we're in all together in one package. Did you have a interest in wine before that personally uh, as a drinker or was it kind of new uh, to you personally i sure did <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't we all i mean if you drink it's like um i didn't start drinking until i was actually in law school and one of my good friends had a lot of wine tastings and uh i went from being like a kind of a actually i went from being a claude dubois um uh, merlot cab drinker to a Riesling drinker, which generally you go the opposite way. And then I came back around and I, I mean, I really drink our, our Chardonnay. I like the Chardonnay we've created. Um, but and also I like big body cabs and you know, that kind of thing. But yes, absolutely. I was a personal indulger <laughs> in uh, wine. When you decided to start making wine or have a wine as part of your company, how did you decide what you wanted to make, how much of it you wanted to make, where you wanted to make it? How, was it, how did you kind of come, to, come into the, where you are now with Flow? So we produce in California very strategically, and, and the issue is there are a bunch of other great places. I mean, Virginia's in my backyard, mm -hmm. and I could have some really great relationships. However, the economies of scale. Mm -hmm. So when you start getting above 5,000 cases, which we do, you know, it, it gets very tricky to be able to produce a wine of a private label without owning the vineyard where you're not taking up their stock from their wine club mm -hmm. of a vineyard that may have a production of, of 10,000 units so, or 10,000 cases. So for us, the awareness about California wine and Sonoma and Napa in particular was very attractive to us as we were going and talking to these brands that had hundreds of stores across the country. So um, I'm, I've had, since we've been here, we've had great Oregon wine, had a great Pinot last night. Um, I mean, I have great uh, Washington wines. I, we could even import um, with a Meritage from South Africa or Sangiovese from, you know, from Italy. It's just a matter of they've done all the work already. Let's, you know, we have limited resources, limited time. Let's go on what's been built and what people are a little more familiar with. Mm -hmm. That's why we produce there. As it relates to the flavor profile, people, you know, Rosé's hot, Moscato's hot, Chardonnay's the number one selling wine in the, in the world. Why would you do anything else when you're fighting for limited shelf space? Why would you do anything other than something that's very familiar and jump into that? Now, is hyper competitive, but you would rather, you know, be able to say, hey, look, I have a Chardonnay that can go in your by the, uh, by the glass, which is very important in wine because um, off-premise pushes on-premise. I think a lot of people think the other way. You need to be in the restaurants for people to taste it. That was number one. The other with the table red, um, and the, the red blend was just, again, having a smooth red that was, you know, some people are like, that's bitter. It's not really bitter, you know, maybe tannic, you know, but they don't know. So they describe it the way they describe it. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. And then the Moscato, we were going everywhere and they're like, do you have something sweet? It's like, no, um, no. Uh, and we were saying no so much that we had to come up with something. And the way that we developed our Moscato, it's not as sweet as most, still sweet, mm -hmm. so that we have something that maintains the kind of, so we call it the Goldilocks theory, the brand being kind of just right across the board and smooth, um, but not being too sweet, uh, or not being a dry Riesling where, you know, nobody's got, I asked for a sweet wine. Um, so that has been one that when people ask for that option, very classy, very well, you know, um, uh, designed very well, and uh, fits that palette profile. Do you have any plans to 
make different varietals in the future? Do you plan to expand beyond the three? Absolutely. I mean, we're looking at um, my second favorite is a Sauvignon Blanc. So we're looking at that um, as well as a rosé and as well as some type of bubbly. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of making the right decision at the right time. Uh, people like to grow fast. You want to grow properly. Mm -hmm. You want to grow in a, a very systematic, pragmatic, well thought out way. Because every new thing you get, you have to manage. Mm -hmm. uh, I laugh because I, I read a lot in, in a lot of like Eastern teachings. And even if you go into Christianity, the whole vow of poverty. It's not that having a whole bunch is bad. It's the fact that the more you get and every new thing you get, you must manage it. So now we have three SKUs that we have to, to make sure we get onto a shelf. You would think that having five would give us more options. Well, if you don't like my this, then you like my this, you like my this. What's really interesting is Kim Crawford has a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. But the one you hear about is the Sauvignon Blanc all the time. And I, don't, I haven't seen any of Kim Crawford's other stuff there. So if I were them, I'm like, I would have this minimal production of these other things. Why waste your time on anything else when you're, you're killer? Is, is this something you want? Keep them happy. Um, and I think the, the seduction is, uh, of, of like, I'm big, you know, I'm everywhere. You can come get me wherever you want. Nah, I'm cool. Yeah, I'm cool with me. We're going to grow the way we need to grow, and we're going to do it in a way that's sustainable um, for the entire brand. What's, your, what's the goal of Flow Wine? What do, you, what do you want people to take away from your wine? Um, one is that anything is possible. I mean, going back to my main purpose of letting others to see no matter how crazy your dream is, that you can actually realize it. Like when you look at, if you go behind the flow story and every bottle has like a statement, I don't know if you saw that on the back, it has the, the flow wine statement. To pursue the things in life that, that really are about who you are. And if you see me and you're drinking this bottle of wine or drinking anything of it, this is somebody who took a chance on himself and got this manifestation that you are enjoying at this particular time. Anything I can do, you can do better. But you have to know what you want to do. So when you have that flow experience, it's just, wow, things are possible. Because at the end of the day, let's look at it. If I poured Kendall Jackson in a glass with Robert Mondavi, with Gnarly Head, with our red blend, nine out of 10 people cannot tell you the difference of our, our, our reds. <laughs> if I take a medium, you know, body. And then even so, I mean, you'll get the, the, the Psalms that are like, well, this is a, you know, Napa Valley Chardonnay, malolactic fermentation, blah, 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 blah. And you'll get the other 10 people who aren't in the wine industry to say, that tastes like shit, I want this, <laughs> you know what I mean? So the wine is a component of it. It's the other things that you put around it that really kind of make it go. And that's what everybody's really understanding. Anybody can put, like all these celebrities putting their name on a bottle, that's cool. Some people are gonna buy it because, but imagine all the other stuff. Let me give you something else to think about when you're drinking this wine. Damn, this is a manifestation of a dream and faith and hard work. This is Marcus's wine P90X. Talk about the relationship between music and wine, and obviously the two things are very close to you. Uh, how do you see them relating, and how do you relate them with your own music and wine? Besides, you know, going back to the indulgent Marcus, <laughs> you know, generally I'm not drinking wine and just like, oh, watching the sunset without some music, right? So again, these are things that like, I think I, think, I just think a lot of people are they they kind of bullshit themselves and the thinking that, that life isn't about experiences and that it's about all themselves. I mean, the best experiences that I've had in my life have not been alone. They've been with people. They've been with people I care about or people that I've grown to care about. And you know, you have these, like you don't have cake, you know, or bread without a binder, you know, the egg or, you know, something else like that. I mean, wine and music are the binder to these experiences. And when you pull all that together, it's just like, okay, I get it. The right music, with the right wine, at the right time, with the right people, 
gives you something to think about for the rest of your life. And, and honestly, again, I go back to my most incredible experiences in life. And while I love my aha moments that were during reflection, and I love self-care times that were during reflection, it was still even in those reflective periods, thinking about my engagement with those that I care about and that I love and that I you know, would desire to, to support and help. So understanding, that it, it, it's, it, you have to be very responsible in understanding that putting all that together is it's a responsibility. Yeah. Not, not meant for everybody. It is a platform. It is something to be used to make the world better. And you know, that's just the way I was born and the energy that hits me. So that's really what flow is about. That's why the, the wine and the music. And now we're doing these lifestyle experiences with Love and Jazz Weekend. And to have flow wine with my music playing in the background and me making sac, sac racks and, and um, uh, old fashions while we're baking bread from scratch in a cooking class that was sold out in a, a teaching kitchen mm -hmm. at a resort. That's it, man. You know what I mean? Or the proposal that was given during our concert after dinner. That's memorable. Like, people were like, oh my God, this is perfect. You know, or before everything and doing even yoga with Marcus. Cool. What is that? That's the self-care needed to get you through into the next great experience. Because if you don't take care of yourself, it's not worth it anyway. So it's just a binder. It's a binder that allows you to stick different things on it. It's, it's your life vision board, but these things allow you to put it all together. Do you feel that your music and wine pair together in a way? Do you oh, feel perfectly. like you, yeah. certain music with certain wine? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, certain music with certain wines, with certain environments. I mean, today it's cloudy outside, you know. Um, it may not be the day that I'm gonna, you know, well, for some people, they'll listen to the kind of more music for a rainy day, you know. I may take Marcus Johnson off and throw on Drake and, you know, and put Flo to the side and look at it and get, you know, some tequila. I mean, but, but again, these are the binders mm -hmm. yeah, of how it, they're the things that you pull together. So with my music in particular, I believe that, you know, the, the, the jazz experience and kind of the urban jazz experience along with, you know, the flow branding and, and what we've done, fun. Yeah. I'm just, let's have some fun. It doesn't have to be that serious. You can let go and enjoy this shit. We have a limited time here. Why in the hell do you want to be all upset about it? Why do you want to focus on the negative when you have the choice to focus on the positive? That's how you flow. And you find, I, clearly you found this is, people, this is, people have responded to this over the years. Have you had, um, you talk about kind of aha moments. Have you had some aha moments with, with people who you felt were being reached by your music, being reached by your jazz, uh, I'm sorry, and by your wine? Have you kind of seen that, like, that person's like, they're feeling my wine, they're feeling my jazz right now. I mean, the responses from our Love and Jazz Weekend all over Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like, the great thing about social media is it gives you a pretty instantaneous, you know, um, aha or oops, <laughs> we need to go back to the drawing board. That didn't work, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you go, you know, you're on a date and you go to kiss that person and they're like, yeah, nah, player. You know, it, it's like, okay, my bad. <laughs> and then we go back, did I do something wrong? No, it's just not that kind of thing. So then you can engage and figure out what went right, what went wrong. But like, you know, we'll get, we got a lot of, that was the best experience that I've had in a long time. Your accessibility with your product is why I will support you forever. I went online and ordered a case of your this based on tasting it and the experience. Um, I can't wait for you to do it again because wherever you do it, at what resort, I'm gonna make sure that me and now 10 of my friends are coming. I mean, that is it. I mean, you go back to the music side, <clears throat> music is, is, is the way that we kind of speak even when you know, we can't put the proper words together because you know, there are only a certain amount of, of words. So with jazz, you, you hear these things and I've had people from around the world, you know, um, 
that have been like, yo, look, uh, I was literally about to kill myself. Mm. And, you know, listening to what you said, and they'll, they'll go get the wine, they'll listen to the music, and then they'll jump into a TED Talk. And um, I have this one song that I play that's a remake of uh, Beyonce's Me, Myself, and I. And I talk about it, but then I say at the end of the day, there's no such thing as me, myself, and I. If you awaken, there's some force that is making your heart beat, your lungs breathe, your eyes see, ears hear. That's not you. And there needs to be some level of gratitude. And this girl leaves a note on the, um, she runs up, gives me a note, and I put it to the side. And then I sign CDs for an hour. And then I leave, and I go back, and the note is sitting. They cleaned everything off and the note is sitting on the stage. Mm -hmm. And I open it up and she had said, Marcus, you have a gift. I woke up this morning suicidal. I'm going to sleep tonight happy to be alive. Amen, let's roll, aha, we're gonna go to the next thing. And, and that gives you, I mean, what kind of energy does that give you? And again, it's not me. All I did was unlock what was already in her by telling, being authentic in my story of like, yo, shit, I was having a rough time. And then I realized that, you know, that I, I'm having a bad day in a penthouse in Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's not a bad day. <laughs> oh, by the way, and even if you don't have that and you're awake, that's not a bad day. No matter what you have, having gratitude for it and saying, I'm going to take it here and we're going to take it to the next level each time may take a little bit longer, and I tell people I'm building oak trees. Oak trees take time to grow, but when you build them, it takes a hell of a lot to knock them down. You mentioned earlier about sort of the, especially early part of your life was a lot about kind of getting your butt kicked and then getting back up and, and doing it again. Uh, talk about some of the, the challenges you've, you've dealt with, the biggest challenges uh, getting to where you are today. Man, that's a whole... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, that's a whole, like, other two-hour conversation <laughs> because it's not, it's, that's not reserved to, like, it's not reserved to, to the early part of my life. I've been dealing with things lately. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, having a child that doesn't live with you, that you love and that you miss while you're trying to build a business mm -hmm. and dealing with, you know, domestic issues related to, you know, the fact that her mom is upset that we didn't get married and that kind of thing. And then having to deal with your six-year-old crying in therapy, mm -hmm. you know, that's real. But you got to get over it, right? You have to put that in. Or having, you know, uh, uh, recognizing some of my pitfalls. And, and so I think some of the things that make me a great business guy and this marketing guy fulfilling other people's needs, you don't watch it. You become codependent and enabling the other people. So you're always trying to fix stuff that comes through your head. You're trying to fix your relationships. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that person is great, but I can make them better. You know, they are the way they, they are. And the only person that can change them is them. But this is me at my age right now going through a bad relationship. You know what I mean? And having to cut it off and, and being under so much pressure and anxiety that Leonard and I end up in an ER at the side in, in, at Grady Memorial Hospital in a hallway, you know, last December. <laughs> and having to get back to reflection, not believing the hype, letting go and enjoying this stuff, right? And so I don't think that we, you know, those are the kind of, out, those are the kind of things that have happened my entire life. I, I, you know, it's interesting you ask that question because it's what I'm, I'm dealing with in my reflective periods now mm -hmm. and, and self-care of what happened when my original love, my mom had a stroke and almost died. Did I ever grieve? Mm -hmm. Now, did I turn it into positive energy to go forward in business? Yeah, but did I ever let it go? Did I ever deal with the fact that it's life, man, you know? Hey, little Marcus, it's cool. Your mom wasn't abandoning you. She's still here, and she's still here. And my mom has outlived a lot of people that came and visited her when she had a stroke, right? So then you look at that, okay, so what are the positives out of that? So yeah, man, I tell you, it, it's I, divorce. Um, business failures. You know, Three Keys Music is no more and there's a flow because we ran out of money. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it as I was reading, um, reading this book now called Letting Go, and I thought about 
the act of me having a million dollar studio, getting a multi-million dollar investment from Bob Johnson, and me not thinking I deserved it, and listening to everybody else that was out there saying, well, why in the hell did Bob invest in him? Instead of saying, he's the heavyweight. Mm -hmm. He invested in you, so he obviously sees something in you. So even if you don't see it, come on, man. So, yeah, man. It's one of the challenges. <laughs> but I mean, who, who doesn't have those? Right. Who doesn't have a personal challenge? Who doesn't have a family challenge? I don't know anybody. Who doesn't look in the mirror every day and with, I mean, my friends, I went to a damn good school. I have my friends that went to Oxford and Harvard and, and Stanford. Who, who doesn't go in the mirror and look and say, yeah, but are you okay? Do you really think you belong here? And I think what we don't do in, again, primary education, forget about secondary education and, and, and higher level, you know, higher education is actually dealing with the mental health issues. And that's why you have kids jumping off the bridge in Cornell into the gorge. Because nobody, nobody cares, mm -hmm. seemingly. And that's why self-care is so important, going through this whole business process, going through the whole growth process. Because the inevitable thing is you will get your ass kicked. You will fail. Mm -hmm. You will get hurt, you will get damaged, and everything else. Guess what? The beauty of it is if you survive it, that means you were supposed to go through it. Let's figure out how to avoid this if we can next time, or at least if you see it coming. Because thunderstorms are going to come. Tornadoes are going to come. Now we have early warning systems get the hell out the way. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be in that whole thing. One of my friends also says, I was like, man, I'm going through hell. She said, just don't get stuck. Mm -hmm. But a lot of us believe that, this, that the suffering is part of the process. No, getting over and out of the way of suffering is the best way for you to not just be successful, but to enjoy. Mm -hmm the whole journey and that's really the key of this whole thing in, in entrepreneurship or in life because at the end of the day we're 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 the ceo of our own brands of us whether you work for somebody or not you're ceo of you you know you can't blame somebody else for the stuff you didn't do that's on you but did it, you chose to listen to what they said you chose to go to that party or not go to that party figuratively or, or literally it was on you so that's, where you, that's why you need to take time to figure out where you and you are going. Speaking of that, last question for you today. Uh, where are you going? What's, uh, what's next for you and, and for your company? It's kind of interesting um, because we're in our planning process as we've gotten into 2019. And I'm doing a lot more speaking and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing with this and I have the business stuff up. So really identifying people that can help run particular parts of, of the brand as we continue to expand that. We're working and doing uh, Sips and Sounds events with AARP for their associate membership under 50. Um, we have uh, deals that we're working on with brands like Total Wine and More, uh, Whole Foods, Darden Specialty Restaurant Groups and things like that. Um, Flow will continue to grow. We will continue to expand the offerings that we have so long as it fits in our plan. Um, there will be more music and more lifestyle experiential kind of, of events. And at some point, whether it's as an owner or a partner, you know, you'll be in the Flow Resort slash uh, vineyard, chilling at the Flow Lounge, listening to Flow music, drinking Flow on maybe have a flow cigar or flow shirt, and you may have a flow fragrance. That is all part of the lifestyle of, just, this is cool. This is cool stuff, and I enjoy what they're offering. And you know, and it may be powered by flow, everything may not have the logo on it, but just those things, again, that make everything just a little bit better. So, yeah, I see, uh, you know, and, and with that, the, my mediating variable is my six-year-old. And, you know, we did ice skating for the first time, you know, last week. And pictures with her big smile, you know, um, on her face. 
and making sure that in all this that she gets time mm -hmm. that is one of the most important things for me i got her a, a gizmo watch and she calls me and the best way for me to stop in, in in the middle of an interview is for me to see that my daughter's calling me because that she is absolutely my number one we've been in meetings i'm like gotta go hold on what's that because I know that when she's calling, she needs to talk to me. She needs just, Daddy, where are you? First thing she said, I'm in San Francisco. Okay, when are you coming back? Be back Saturday, same Saturday I told you yesterday, Chase. Okay, I'll talk to you later. I love you. I love you back. Next day, Daddy, where are you? Well, I'm in LA. Daddy, when are you coming? And the thing to let her know is that I am coming back. Mm -hmm. You know? And um, one of the reasons in my book, one of the reasons I wrote my book was for my daughter, because I do travel. I mean, you never know what could happen. Anything could happen. Inside the first page is, this is dedicated to the love of my life. Chase, this is for you. Know that I'm always thinking of you, right? That will take her where she needs to go, but that's so important to me to make sure that I have that. And eventually, also hopefully, finding someone where I can actually start a family, you know, and have that. That is... Again, sharing this journey to me is where all of the cool experiences come in, man. And I've been running a little bit, but you know, I'm, my eyes are opening a little bit. I'm a little less myopic in what I thought I wanted. And just really like down with people who are down with me. Who are the people that are calling me and saying, what's up? Who are the people that when I'm around them, the energy is, is about the energy and great combo and you know things that really matter mm -hmm. and that's what I've, I'm learning more and more the older I get that there's stuff that matters and there's stuff that doesn't and um, hopefully I can help some of the students you know where I go understand that because if they can understand that early man, life can be a lot of fun man. <laughs> it can be a lot of fun well, excellent. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and your answers. Thank you. And we'll let you off the hook there. Cool. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.